Again, thank you. I'm glad you uh, decided to uh, take part in our online and on-site worship celebration. That's a bad thing. Computer, my, my, my notes look better without my glasses, but you don't. So I'd rather look at you. I'll trust the Holy Spirit to help me figure out what the blur on the screen on my notes mean. Worst thing it do, it, 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 will, it means that it'll just take longer. At least there's nobody here to heckle me about it. Well, there might be, but we'll see. Hey, most people have uh, some general understanding about prayer. Uh, at least the majority of, of us uh, say we pray regularly. 55% of the people in the United States pray at least daily, according to a study uh, in, uh, reported by the Pew Research Center. What an interesting name. Every time I say that, I think, like, who do they talk to? Do they talk to people in the pew? Or do they talk to people in the street? I, I just don't know. I, anyway. Uh, it's just a free rabbit trail that you get from, from me. I don't know. Unfortunately, though, the, even though 55% of us pray at least daily, and then there are others who pray like every once in a while, multiple times a week, every week and every month, uh, unfortunately, some of us have turned prayer into a form of re religious idolatry. Let me explain that. Prayer, prayer becomes an idol when our prayer acts become, our actions become a source of our security and comfort. When, when we begin to think things like life only has meaning or I only have worth if I'm observing all the rules and regulations about prayer. And, and only if people see me as someone who's skilled in praying. You know, I've got to have my act together in prayer. Then I, if I have my act together in praying, then I'll be okay. Before we know it, then we find ourselves searching for the latest and greatest tips to, to gain answers to our prayers. I did a quick search this week through the books I've read on prayer. Um, the newest ones are all about getting answers. Older books on prayer, older articles about prayer were, were about connecting with God. New books were about how to pray to get answers. Prayer, prayer, prayer. <laughs> it's not easy for me to say. That's the problem. Prayer and fasting for breakthrough. You know, this is how you pray and fast to make God do stuff. Basically, is what that that was the premise of the book. That's kind of scary. 
to think that you can do something to make God do something for you. <laughs> okay, well, we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. Jesus' first followers weren't a whole lot different, though, so we shouldn't feel bad when they go around beating up on each other. Uh, they came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. In other words, give us a prayer that makes us special. Give us a prayer that sets us apart from John's disciples and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Give us a prayer so that when we pray that prayer, everybody goes, ooh, they're Jesus' disciples. You know, we want the secret code ring prayer. Uh, Matthew reports kind of an expanded version of the answer to that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 15. 5 to 15. So I want you to hear his answer. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Jesus said, Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray while standing in the synagogues, that, or the church, uh, and on the street corner so the people can see them. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. If people see them, they get what they wanted. People noticed. But whenever you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to you. I'm going to ask you to be counting these, these two words, your father, as we read this. When, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not babble repetitiously like the Gentiles because they think that by their many words they will be heard. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So pray this way. Our father in heaven, May your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive, have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Six times. Jesus taught us the prayer is primarily relational, not ritual. It's transformational, not transactional. Jesus taught us that prayer is mainly about knowing God, about knowing our Heavenly Father, not about receiving things from Him. Receiving things from God is part of it, but the main thing is about connecting with God. Jesus gave His followers far more than they asked for. They asked for a special prayer formula to repeat so that other people would know that they were Jesus' disciples. Jesus gave them and us a unique purpose for prayer. He says, let me tell you the real reason to pray. 
See, before hearing Jesus' teachings, our prayer centered around our actions, what we do and what we did. But now, we're learning to allow God to love us deeply. We come into prayer to be loved and to love him. The prayer Jesus gave his followers represents how we are to approach and connect with God. Jesus also pointed out, pretty pointedly, I might add, that our relationships with each other are crucial in our relationship with God. That's a whole other message some other time. Well, it could be a whole series, but we'll talk about that another time. But he did point that out. Jesus addressed God as Abba, or Father, frequently in the prayers that we have recorded. Abba is an affectionate word used by children in a close family address to their father, to address their father. Jesus even used it in his prayer struggle on the night before his crucifixion. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment. I'm going to address the elephant in the, in the room or in, on the web, whichever the case may be. Father's not necessarily a good thing for a lot of people. Because some human fathers, okay, I'm going to be, I, I can be blunt. I will not be as blunt as I can be because I'm in church on Sunday morning. You're welcome. But some human fathers stink. They abandon, they beat, they desert, they abuse. They don't deserve the title. They are anything but like what our Heavenly Father is. And unfortunately for some of us, when we hear the word Father in these words from Jesus, our minds go to what our earthly human fathers did to us, to their failings. Now, for that reason, so many people have wanted to uh, have said, hey, we need to stop calling God Father. And I understand that. And I understand why we don't want to associate our Heavenly Father with all these human failings. But I would ask, and I've talked to some who've had really rotten human fathers. Even in your youngest years, did you not know that fathers shouldn't act like that? And their answer was, yeah. <coughs> And I say to them, that's because in your heart of hearts, you know what God is really like. And you knew your father wasn't living up to that. 
in your heart of hearts, you know what God is really like because he's like the father you wish you had and more. So we don't necessarily need to stop calling God father. We need to stop thinking God is like our earthly fathers. Even the best human fathers we had aren't as good as our heavenly father. They came close. They may have been but none of our human fathers were perfect. So when it's hard, if it's hard for you to think of God as a father, I just urge you to know that that inner standard that you have for a father that's a reflection of the heavenly father and he's really even better than that so much better On the night before Jesus was going to be crucified in the garden as he was struggling, it was a terrible spiritual battle going on. He was facing a horrible temptation to give up and not do what he had come to do, not to obey God's plan for him. And in his prayer, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Take this thing that's about to happen away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Abba. Dear Father. What makes prayer so personal to Jesus? He was really close to his heavenly Father. And for Jesus, he saw that prayer is the doorway into his relationship with his heavenly Father for us. He didn't see it as a ritual or a, a religious activity. He didn't see it as a, a thing for us to do to, to get things or a way to gain a reputation. For him, for Jesus, as he taught his disciples and as he teaches us about prayer, he says, this is the doorway into the kind of relationship I have with my Abba. This is the house of God. As you go into prayer, you're entering the house of God, which is the house of love. And that's the place where miracles happen. When you get into the house of God and into his, God's love, that's where miracles happen. <clears throat> Jesus' relationship with God was deeply personal. His, his teachings on prayer reveal that we can experience the same kind 
closeness with God. Jesus wants us to know that God knows each of us by name and welcomes us when we pray. So just pause for a moment. Now there's probably close to 8 billion people living on the planet Earth right now. Plus everybody who's in all the beings in heaven. And if all 8 billion of us on earth and all the beings in heaven called on God at simultaneously. This is the miraculous thing. It's hard for us to imagine this. He would answer us all by name. Not social security number. Not by a generic, yes, my child. Not even the way we parents sometimes answer our kids. Yes, Nikki, Kristen, Katie, Harley. Or even the previous dog, Buddy. <laughs> um, right? And then we're all, then we get really embarrassed. Well, at least. At my house, I get embarrassed when I, like, you know, we, we just name off all the kids when we're trying to talk to one of them. God doesn't do that. Can you imagine what would happen if God were to name off 8 billion people before he finally got to you? No. You go into, you go into your room, close the door, and say, Father, and he says, hi, Nancy, hi, Bill, and by the way, he's talking to you, not to Tom or George or Connie, he calls you by your name, let's talk. Maxie Dunham, a pastor and author and seminary professor and, wow, just an all-around fantastic guy <laughs> from deep down in Alabama. I will not attempt his accent. That would, that would be an insult to him. He writes, prayer is a personal relationship with, in which you and God move from a hello of politeness to an embrace of love. <clears throat> you know, at first we just start out with, hi God. And the longer we talk to him, the more times we talk to him, the more we realize, just step right into a giant hug from the creator of the universe. So why do so many books, articles, blogs, and podcasts focus on the process of prayer and on the trying to produce things from prayer? What stops us from achieving the relationship that Jesus taught us to expect? Why do we search for success in prayer when Jesus told us to seek meeting 
with God. I don't know that I have the answer, but I'm wondering if maybe it's because we want to seek control or maintain a sense of control. I'm still in charge. We, we trot out the prayer promises like they're contracts. If God said this, so if I do this, then he has to do this. And as one of my favorite authors, J.D. Walt says, all the while forgetting the inconvenient truth that we owe God everything and he owes us nothing because he's already given us everything. thought that, that human beings, he goes on to say, the thought that human beings by their actions can somehow move or manipulate God is the very essence of idolatry. We can, so we can gauge our tendency to make prayer to an idol by examining our emotional response to the following statements. I'm going to read three statements. Don't say anything out loud. Well, if you're at home, you can yell and scream. Nobody will know. Uh, at least I won't. Uh, depends on who else is in the house with you. Uh, but just, you can gauge the, your response, your emotional response to these three statements. <clears throat> will tell you how, how close you are to making prayer into an idol by your Emotional response to these statements. You ready? Prayer is not powerful. Prayer does not change things. Prayer alone cannot make a difference. Why on earth would anybody say those things? Because we've all heard them. I'll tell you why. Because God is powerful. Because God changes things. God alone can make a difference. Prayer has no power in and of itself. God alone has power. And somehow... By his choice and by his design, when we pray and we trust him, it unlocks and unleashes the power of God and the will of God on earth. I can think of far more efficient ways of getting things done. You know, if I was God, I just do it. it it's kind of like trying to teach my kids to wash dishes. It was a whole lot easier to load the dishwasher by myself. Than to try to teach them to do it. For the 26,000th time. 
Yes, that was an exaggeration. But it felt like that, right? Some of you know, because you had kids that you tried to teach. Oh, and hand washing, that was even more fun. And God chooses to say, I'm going to teach you how to pray, and I'm going to wait until you pray before I do stuff. Okay. <laughs> It'll be a whole lot faster if you just do it. That's not the way I'm going to do it, Mark. Shut up and get to work. I mean, get to praying. <laughs> yes, sir. All of our misconceptions and misguided motives for prayer begin to disappear, though, at the foot of the cross. When we stand at the foot of Jesus' cross and we hear him pray, all of a sudden we begin to hear a different thing, a whole different prayer life, a life of prayer. Jesus had three prayers on the cross. The first prayer, Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you remember the only part of the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that he taught us that he went back to explain? It's the part that said, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And he said, if you don't, God won't. But if you do, God will. How serious do you think he was? Well, they're putting nails in his hand and his praying, forgive them. Pretty serious. Three o'clock he cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt all alone, but what did he do? He didn't turn to the thieves on the cross and he didn't turn to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all the people who were mocking him and going, you know, you guys are right. God deserted me. He didn't. He turned to God and said, God, I feel lost. His third prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In all three of his prayers, he turned to God. He turned to his heavenly father, his Abba, in the darkest, most excruciating hours of his life, in the end of his life. And even though he felt forsaken, he still knew God that was close, close enough to turn to Close enough to call on. Close enough to surrender his life into God's care. As he breathed his last breath, he said, here I am. I'm yours. <clears throat> Prayer is not a habitual ritual that needs to be performed correctly in order to get things from God. It is a relationship for us to enjoy. Pastor Dan Ryland puts it this way. Prayer is not a ritual we have to get right. It is a relationship for us to enjoy. 
The role of prayer is to connect with God in a genuine heart level, at a genuine heart level. Hear his voice and respond in a way that changes our lives and hopefully then changes the lives of others. The practice of prayer isn't merely for the sake of a spiritual discipline, a routine of spiritual maturity. It's to know God and to live for, in, and through the Holy Spirit. So here's the sermon in a sentence. The thing I want you to remember today. Every prayer welcomes us into God's extravagant, loving embrace. Every prayer welcomes us into God's extravagant, loving embrace. God knows us, each of us, every human being on this planet and every being in heaven, he knows everyone by name and welcomes us into his presence when we pray. I mentioned him before, I'm going to mention him again because I've, I've read this like multiple times trying to figure out, well, how can you word this better? And I said to myself, self, you can't, so I'm not going to. Not going to try. I'm going to share something that J.D. Wrote, Walt wrote, and here goes. The great miracle of miracles is not that we know God. It is that God knows us. This is what salvation, by grace through faith, is in its deepest essence. Knowing God knows and knowing that God loves me. And knowing God loves me, not because he has to love me, which really is only tolerance, but because he made me. God doesn't love me despite me, and despite all of the things I've done, and despite all of the things I might be, but because of me. And because of him. God loves me because I belong to him. And how do I know this? I know it because of history. I know because it happened. Jesus himself said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son to seek me out, to find me, to forgive my sin, to reconcile me to God, to cleanse me of every spot and stain of sin, to robe me in his righteousness, to crown me with his glory, to put the ring of his seal of favor on my finger. As I say, our Father, my prayer turns into an extravagant embrace and every single time it changes me. 
as I know God knows me completely and accepts me profoundly just as I am, then I can completely and profoundly accept myself just as I am. And I have discovered along the way, this is the only way I can change. Not so I will be known in love because I am known in love. The power is the way this compels me to know love and completely accept people without conditions or caveats. Because if this is true for me, if God loves and knows me, it is true for them too. He goes on to say, this, my friends, is a supremely powerful reality that can change everything for everyone. Now here's the best part. All I have just said is true for you. true for all of us. Jesus wants us to know God knows us, each of us, by name. And welcomes us into his presence when we pray. God loves us dearly, dearly. And every prayer welcomes us into God's extravagant, loving embrace. We don't need to say a lot. We don't need to try to sway God with our performance. We don't need to impress him. Every prayer welcomes us into God's extravagant, loving embrace. So the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to join me in going through the door of prayer into Jesus' relationship with his Heavenly Father? Are you willing to join me in going deeper and farther in so that we can experience more of God's love and power? Are you prepared to join me in trading in our misguided motives and misconceptions about prayer so they can disappear at the foot of Jesus Christ? Are you ready to join me in knowing God more, experiencing his love more, being able to share it more? Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. We need you. We're here to be reoriented and recalibrated. We, we need you to bring us more in line with the ways of Jesus. We, we need to become more like him in the ways we think. We need you to change us from the inside out. Teach us to pray so that we know that God knows us and loves us. 
Holy Spirit deep inside, we need to know that God loves us not because he has to, us to know that God doesn't have to do anything that he doesn't want to. Help us to know that God loves us. <clears throat> because he wants to. His love wants the best for us. God, help us to know your, your love wants to reach into the center of our beings and bring healing restoration to those places that are broken and wounded. Well, I have them. Holy Spirit, teach us to pray so we know that we know that we know that God loves us far more than we could ever imagine. But we want to experience it. Each of us is different. You've made us unique. But you know how to help us. So help each of us uniquely. Transform us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Because we're convinced that's the thing, the kinds of things that He's praying for us right now. So we confidently say, make it so. Amen. Take a moment to address those of you who have joined us online. Thank you. Particularly thank you. If you've not joined uh, the Champions of Hope Facebook group, uh, there's a link in the description. Please <coughs> do that. We would uh, love the opportunity to connect with you and get acquainted. And for those of you who are on site, and those of you who are not,
site. Uh, you'll, you'll get to know there's a perk for showing up on site. Occasionally, there are treats. Today we have cookies. Yay! Yay! There are cookies! And if you're on site, you can have them. If you're online, I suppose if you're really hurry. If you're online, we love you. But, you know, there are perks to being on site. Just saying. Besides getting to be with some great people, you'd also get the occasional treat. So, hey, uh, maybe next time. Folks, whether you're on site or online, stay alert, stand firm on your, in your, on your trust in Jesus, show courage, be strong, <laughs> give it all you've got, and love everyone without stopping. A huge door of opportunity for good work has opened here in our community. Don't doubt it. Don't miss it. You are sent to make the most of this opportunity, but you're not being sent alone. Go with King Jesus and the Holy Spirit's power and with his presence and love. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.